Hello there, and welcome to episode number 74 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. Okay, so on this week's episode, we got some CBA lockout news to discuss. Uh, Saya Suzuki, his name has popped up involving the Blue Jays lately. Uh, There's a report circulating out there um, detailing that the Blue Jays are one of the teams who are pushing the hardest for his services. We got to get into that. Then we got to get into a pre-lockout trade that nearly happened between the Toronto Blue Jays and Milwaukee Brewers, which was centered around Randall Gritchick and Jackie Bradley Jr. So we get to dive into that. And then we still got to continue this fantasy. I'll, I'll describe it like that for now of Freddie Freeman joining the Blue Jays. So we're going to get into all those topics. So let's dive right in. Okay. Um, let's talk about the elephant in the room right in the right away here. Um, and that is the fact that we are now in a lockout and have been for, I don't know, almost a week. And unfortunately, I don't have any good news to bring to you. I'm sure most of you who, uh, who follow the day-to-day uh, around baseball. Know the, know the whole situation, what's going on here. And that is both sides, the owners and the players, aren't scheduled to talk for, I don't know, anytime soon, basically. Um, they last spoke just before the deadline passed on Wednesday, last Wednesday. And since then, they haven't spoken. So... For now, it seems like both sides are willing to drag this process out throughout the holiday season and into 2022. And then after that, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Hopefully we hear some encouraging signs about, you know, scheduling meetings between the two sides and, you know, maybe making some hay around that time of the year. But for now, over these next like two, three weeks, not a whole lot is going to happen regarding Major League Baseball. Um, no signings, no trades are allowed to happen. You're going to have you know, the, the Rule 5 process happen, but only for the minor league players. None of the major league players um, are able to or, or are eligible to be selected during that process. So aside from that, it's going to be fairly quiet over the next few weeks. Um, so... With that in mind, this will likely be the final episode of Blue Jays World Update for 2021. Um, You know, bearing some sort of miracle that, you know, the owners and the players are, are able to get back to the bargaining table and hammer a deal out, you know, bearing some sort of development like that. There's not a whole lot of topics that we can cover, you know, throughout the rest of the month. So I think that's why it's probably best 
for this to be it for 2021 and then we'll pick things back up in 2022 but until that happens we still have some things to talk about here um like i mentioned at the beginning seiya suzuki's name has popped up in the rumor mill lately um most recently however though um sean mcadam he's a reporter from the boston sports journal and recently he wrote a piece suggesting that the red sox the yankees and the blue jays are three teams that have been the most aggressive or were the most aggressive prior to the lockout um, in pursuit of Suzuki. Now, he also wrote in there that there's a decent chance that Suzuki may, in fact, prefer to play on the West Coast, similar to how Shohei Otani wanted to back when he made that jump from the Japan League over to Major League Baseball. So that could throw a wrench into this whole report, especially considering Red Sox, Yankees, Blue Jays, all three play on the East Coast. So uh, maybe take this report with a grain of salt. But that being said, his report suggests that now that Hunter Renfro is gone, he was traded to Milwaukee, um, there's a bit of a hole in left or right field um, for the Red Sox. And with Kike in center, Alex Verdugo in left, ideally the Red Sox could make a strong push for Suzuki, sign him to um, you know, a multi-year deal, whatever it may be, and, and allow him to serve as their starting right fielder with Jackie Bradley Jr., who's now returned to their organization, allow him to serve as their fourth outfielder. But on the other hand, from the Blue Jays' standpoint, we all know that they could absolutely benefit from an upgrade in the outfield, right? You have Springer in center probably for the next few seasons before he starts to age into his mid-30s and potentially needs to move to a corner outfield spot but before that happens which is probably often the somewhat distant future uh you have Gritchick in center obviously Teoscar is more familiar or more comfortable in right field but he can also move around to left field too his his defensive metrics are fairly decent on the other side of the outfield so you know that kind of leaves Gritchick and Guriel as the odd guys out. And, you know, we've, we've already heard Gritchick's name pop up in trade rumors, right? He was reportedly, at least according to Ken Rosenthal, and I'll get into that uh, in a little bit here, but his name is already circula circulating as one that could be used as a trade ship, or at least just trying to dump him to somebody else, freeing up an outfield spot. And... Considering that Seiya Suzuki features a ton of power, right, a ton of contact, a solid amount of speed, he's very reliable defensively. He's won multiple cold gloves during his time in the NPB, so he would be a prototypical 
uh, right fielder for the Blue Jays. And given that he's only 27, he's not going to turn 28 until August. If you sign him to like, I don't know, a four-year deal, something like that, uh, your outfield, at least your starting outfield, long-term, could be Hernandez, Springer, and Suzuki. So, you know, and that leaves you open to either keeping Gritchick as your fourth outfielder or finding a new home for him, which is certainly possible, using Gurriel Jr. as a trade chip, potentially helping you get Jose Ramirez from the Guardians. That would certainly be uh, a wise move to make for Toronto. But when it comes to Suzuki, um, you know, we, we don't know how much the Red Sox and the Yankees are willing to spend just because they're very skeptical about investing a lot of money in free agency, um, which you know would push their payrolls up closer to two, that $210 million threshold um, for the luxury tax. But now that the lockout has commenced, if that threshold changes and increases, like say, I think in the latest report, um, before the lockout started that potentially the CBT threshold could rise up to like 230, 240 million dollars. And if that proves to be the case, we could really see the Red Sox and Yankees and even the Dodgers too, um, really look to spend a lot of money once a new CBA is signed, which could prove to be problematic for the Blue Jays because, well, if they want Suzuki and if they're competing against the Yankees, the Red Sox, and even the Dodgers, if that's something they want to want to explore, because they're always looking to improve their roster, um, you know, it, it could become difficult for the Blue Jays to outbid any of those teams, even though, you know, they are an attractive destination. We've seen that, right? We're, that's a that's a trend that has formed this offseason with Gosman and and um, the reliever they signed, Garcia. Both of them took smaller deals to come here. So, you know, and I know it's not the same background, but. Having Hunjin Ryu on the roster, who's from South Korea, Seiya Suzuki, who's from Japan, you know, they're not, they wouldn't speak the exact language or the same language, but I'm sure they could form a solid connection fairly quickly and fairly easy, easily. Um, and we know the Blue Jays have recently explored the Japanese market, right? It, it's not that long ago that they brought in Shun Yamaguchi, who didn't actually work out but they have dabbled in that market previously and could look to do so once again whenever the CBA is signed um, so we'll see what happens on that front but it's certainly encouraging to see that the Blue Jays are looking at their options in the outfield because without a doubt if they add you know a power bat who's also a reliable defender likely means that either one of Gritchick or Guriel or both are going to be off the roster in 2022. So we'll see. Um, but speaking of 
Toronto's outfield. It was a very interesting report from Ken Rosenthal, right? That was released just before the CBA, or I think it was just after the CBA expired, um, regarding that trade between Boston and Milwaukee that happened as a buzzer beater. I think it happened like 30 minutes or so before that 11.59 p.m. So it was a, it was a bit of a shocker, actually, when I first saw it on my timeline and, uh, and saw that such a, a significant trade went down Again, so close to that uh, 11.59 deadline. But after the fact, Ken Rosenthal put out an article um, that was based on a, a number of topics. But in it, talked about how Milwaukee sought out multiple different offers in, in their attempts to move Jackie Bradley Jr. And one of them involved the Toronto Blue Jays, which would have seen a one-for-one deal between Gritchick going to Milwaukee and JBJ coming to Toronto. Now, ultimately, that didn't happen. Um, The report doesn't go into detail about whether or not Toronto was, like, seriously considering this offer or anything. It's just that's what happened from Milwaukee's standpoint. But once Boston offered them a pair of prospects, then that was the deal that got it done. But it doesn't hurt to ponder what would have happened if Toronto pulled the trigger. Um, Now, like as poorly as Randall Gritchick performed, in 2021 and is you know unattractive as his contract now looks which I mean it kind of did at the time too that five-year 100 or no not 100 the five-year 52 million dollar deal that he signed way back in 2019 I think it was just like a few weeks before the regular season even began um but if you look at just his traditional stats like the 22 home runs, the 81 RBIs, the 241 average, 281 on base, 423 slugging. You know, you may not think that Gritchick was such a detriment to the Blue Jays. And in fact, he kind of was. He was a below average, like a significantly um, below average run producer this past season. He had a 85 way to runs create a plus score and for those of you who are unfamiliar with this metric 100 is average so he was 15 percent worse than league average as a run producer pretty awful um he had a negative 14.7 offensive rating but thanks to his you know encouraging 0.6 defensive rating he ultimately had a 0.4 fan graphs war rating So, I mean, that's somewhat productive, but considering he's on the books for $10.3 million in 2022 and $10.3 million in 2023, this isn't a guy that is really helping you a whole lot. Sure, he's decent defensively, especially in right field. He's about average in center field on occasion if you need him there, but 
he's just not someone that's going to help the Blue Jays transform into a legitimate championship contender. And that's the goal, right? The goal is to get to the World Series and ultimately win. And with Randall Gritchick on the roster, you're not receiving any help from either your bench or a starting position, whatever he's being utilized in. He's not helping you in that department. So if a trade can be found for Gritchick, and one nearly was, then it would behoove the Blue Jays to in fact do something about it to get him off the roster whether that means you know wiping your hands clean with him and bringing back another bad contract or paying him to play somewhere else either or you need to free up that roster spot so you can bring in somebody like Seiya Suzuki or even Michael Conforto who can help you improve upon your path um and I don't think that would have happened with Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, especially because his contract is actually a little bit worse than Gritchick's. Um, you know, he would have cost basically the same amount as Gritchick. He's on the books for nine and a half million in 2022, but he's got a mutual option for 2023, which is problematic because. The mutual option is worth $12 million, which is considerably more than what Gritchick's on the books for. But it does have a buyout, but it's very hefty. It's $8 million. So, you know, essentially you would be paying him $8 million to play elsewhere, at least after 2022. And, you know, even though Jackie Bradley Jr.'s defense was pretty effective, um, you know, he's still got a lot of speed and he's a very solid defender in both center field and right field, which were his strengths throughout his tenure with the Red Sox. But at the same time, his offense was so much worse than Gritchick's this past season. Like it was such a forgettable first year, you know, I guess first and only season with the Brewers. Uh, over 134 games. He only posted six home runs, 29 RBIs, a .098 ISO, a .226 BAP, a .163 average, a .236 on base, a .261 slugging, a .221 or .224 WOBA, a .257 expected WOBA, and bringing things back around to way to runs created plus. He put up a 35 way to runs created plus score in 2021, which was far worse than what Gritchick did. Um, when it comes to value, he was a negative 0.8 war player last season. So even with his incredible defense in the outfield, because he gave you absolutely nothing at the plate, he actually made their team, made Milwaukee's team worse by having him on their roster in 2021. And again, with the Blue Jays wanting to compete for not only the playoffs, but also for a ticket in at least the ALCS, if not the World Series, you know, in 2022 and beyond, 
you can't have a guy on your roster costing you a lot of money and making your team worse, right? That's baseball 101. Don't invest a lot of money into bad players who make your team worse when you want to win, right? Seems simple enough. So, you know, at the end of the day, probably the best um, that Toronto didn't make this trade. And again, we don't know how serious they were in wanting to make this deal, but ultimately it's one they will be happy that they didn't make. And I think too, the Blue Jays can do a lot better than Jackie Bradley Jr. Let's be honest here. And no disrespect to JBJ because, you know, not so long ago, I was a huge fan of his. You know, when he had his red hot stretch in Boston during the 2019 season where he was just one of the best hitters in baseball for about like a week or so. You know, I, I was riding that train really hard, especially in fantasy baseball. He, uh, I think he won me a couple of weeks because of that performance. So, you know, I got a lot of love for Jackie Bradley Jr. And I mean, he's a highlight uh, waiting to happen in the outfield. So, you know, from a defensive standpoint, he would be great as like a fourth outfield option, right? A, a, a late game defensive replacement, something like that. But again, when he's costing you that much money, it's not worth it, right? It, it's, it would be more worth your while to pay him to play somewhere else. And that's just not something the Blue Jays would want to get, in, get into business with. So, you know, I, I think they can do a lot better than that type of trade at the very least again if the Blue Jays and I'm sure they are willing to pay Grichik to pay to play somewhere else whether it's like you know retaining 50% of his contract or something like that there are a handful of teams out there who could use Grichik services you know a guy who's got a bit of pop he can give you a ton of innings in the outfield, but just don't expect a whole lot of value from him. You know, at five or so million dollars per year in 22 and 23, like I guarantee there'd be a ton of teams uh, jumping at the, the bit to acquire him. Now, I don't think the Blue Jays would get a whole lot in return for him other than freeing up like you know, $5 million in 2022 and 2023, something like that. Um, but if anything, that would maybe help their chances of landing a Suzuki or a Conforto. So um, it's just that seeing that report made me very hopeful and optimistic that the Blue Jays will eventually, at some point this winter, whenever this CBA or the next CBA is agreed to and this signing slash trade freeze is undone uh, we'll see him I confidently I think I can say we'll see him in a different uniform next season I would be at this point a little shocked if Randall Gritchick is still on the Blue Jays roster come 2022 um, but it, it'll just likely take some time for that market to you know, uh, come back and return a little bit. But without a doubt, 
his days are numbered with the Blue Jays organization. I, I think it's safe to say that. Now let's get into Freddie Freeman here. And, you know, we all know the offseason is about speculating. And I'm 100% fully supportive of that. And especially when it involves new developments over superstar players. And that's essentially what we have here with Freddie Freeman. Because there's a little bit of chatter out there that Freeman and his representatives sought out the Blue Jays and expressed interest in coming here rather than the Blue Jays doing that on their end. And I believe it, it, it came from, that report came from Blue Jays Nation or Blue Jays Radio, Jays Nation Radio. Um, so credit to them on that report. We'll see or not if it, it holds water in the long run. Um, but if it is true, then that's pretty significant, right? This is a superstar player expressing interest in your franchise. That doesn't happen every day. And again, logistically, it's a whole mess on trying to figure out how you would fit Freddie Freeman into the Blue Jays lineup and roster construction, but, and you know, payroll too, it's kind of important. But when a guy like this, of his stature, who's a prototypical franchise player, he's arguably the best all around first baseman in the game, even though he's 32, if you can get him on a fairly reasonable deal, and I don't anticipate that to happen because you'd be matching, if not outbidding Atlanta and any other team interested in him. But if it wasn't like a deal that surpassed $200 million, which would be absurd for a first baseman, that's in their 30s. That would be insane. I think if you can get a deal done that's, you know, respectable, somewhere around 170 maybe, I'd do it. I'd make it happen. And I'd figure out all the roster construction after the fact. Because just from a profile standpoint, right? He's a power-hitting left-handed hitter. He gives you good plate discipline. He doesn't strike out. He's a gold glove winner at first base when he put up a four and a half uh, Fangraphs war rating this past season. He can give you a ton of innings at first base and, you know, DH occasionally just to keep him healthy and fresh. Um, you know, like he logged 159 games and 695 plate appearances last season. This is a guy who doesn't get hurt a whole lot. Um, you know, and he'd be a he'd be a very good leader for Vladdy and Bouchette and Biggio and you know Tay Oscar as well. Like it'd be adding like another George Springer to the team, if that's a good comparison. You know, someone who's a superstar on the field, but also a superstar off the field too. Um it would probably limit Toronto's ability to, you know, upgrade the rest of the infield, the outfield, 
because they'd have to spend you know any last remaining resources on the bullpen and finding a fifth starter so you know this would really only be um their significant acquisition on the position player side which be okay i mean you'd be a little iffy on the rest of the infield i mean it would mean Vladdy playing a lot more at third base which would allow espinal and biggio to play a lot at second base like it's it would be very risky to pull off something like that because you have no idea how Vladdy would respond to playing regularly at third base, right? Even with him continuing to work on, work on his conditioning over the offseason, the monster 2021 year that he had offensively and defensively, even though the defensive metrics weren't kind to him, um, if you watched him play first base, you know how talented he is and those defensive results will just continue to improve uh, or should continue to improve throughout the rest of his career or at least throughout the rest of his prime that he's not even entered yet because he's only 22 so it'd be a gamble for sure um, and I don't know I'm not exactly sure how you would fit into the equation of extending Bichette and Vladdy while also having Springer's deal on the books Barrios' deal on the books, Gosman's deal on the books, um, Teoscar's extension that will eventually come. Like it would just make a bit of a financial crunch for Toronto. But if Rogers gave them the green light and said, look, we'll allow you to increase your payroll up to like, you know, 180, maybe a little bit more than that. And we won't limit your ability to spend afterwards as well. You know, they could be a team that is also in the long run helped out by the um, the tax threshold ri rising above $210 million. So, you know, I don't, I don't see the Blue Jays ever becoming, at least while they're still owned by Rogers, uh, an organization that flirts with that lux luxury tax threshold. It's just... It, that's not how they conduct business. Um, it'd be fun if they did. Don't get me wrong. But I don't envision that type of scenario happening. At least as of now. Especially when Rogers is looking to sell shares of the Blue Jays. So um, that being said, it, it doesn't hurt to be in the news regarding Freddie Freeman, right? Um, you know, Atlanta would be foolish absolutely bonkers to let Freeman walk out the door and I, and you know before the lockout commenced I think they were playing a little bit of hardball with him by you know not immediately agreeing to his terms which I believe were 180 million over seven or eight um and you know leaking some news that oh they're flirting around with the idea of trading for Matt Olson or pursuing Anthony Rizzo and free agency and I think that's just all smoke and mirrors really I mean like they would be so like their organization would be in such a different state if they allowed Freddie Freeman to walk out the door so I, in, in the end I think he returns but for now speculate all you want right all the 
the the articles and, and and tweets about you know hyping up Freeman potentially coming to Toronto and you know quote unquote coming home even though he didn't grow up here it's just his mom was Canadian and his wife is Canadian too I believe so um, I mean at the end of the day if you can make the money work in the short term and the long term figure out the roster construction I'm all for Freddie Freeman to come to the Blue Jays nothing would make me happier than watching Freeman crush 30 bombs 40 bombs playing gold glove level defense at first base first base and serving as a prominent voice among all the others that are already there in Toronto's clubhouse it would be so much fun to see him in a Blue Jays uniform but realistically I have my doubts I truly do so I'm almost at the point where it's like I'll believe it when I see it even though there's already some smoke and fire in that department but uh, we have several weeks to explore all the different um, storylines and, and plot threads as to how we the Blue Jays could make that move work and still effectively construct the rest of their roster to a point where they're actually an improved team from 2021 but we'll see what happens um but that does it for this week this week's episode i hope you enjoyed all the topics i covered and hopefully i mean if you're bored throughout these next you know month maybe two uh i have a long history of episodes if you want to go catch up on any of the previous ones all you know i commend you go dive into them but until we speak again which will very likely be in 2022 i'm your host thomas hall and now you're up to date and please remember wear a mask wear it properly and get vaccinated thanks for listening and happy holidays merry christmas happy new year all that